From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be around the world. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and of course, our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, with us as well, and then one of our most favorite friends. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know how nations have most favorite nation status? Yes. Well, Dr. Michael Wright has our most, one of our most favorite friends mm-hmm. status and Thank just, you, Michael. just a, a neat servant of the Lord. And, and, uh, you know, God, God brings into our lives, uh, people who help, help keep us on the plumb line, you know, help keep us centered. And, and sometimes that's with pointy toed boots and other times it's <laughs> just through, yeah. through good advice. And, and I tell you, Michael Wright is, is, is just been a wonderful, uh, confidant and, and a cheerleader for us and a great mm-hmm. friend. And, uh, we're going to talk tonight about a wonderful way that God has, uh, led Michael and his ministry to India. And we're going to go through the whole uh, genesis of how that happened in a couple of moments. Before we do that, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with a lesson from the Voice of the Martyrs. Luke, the physician who wrote a gospel in the book of Acts, is often lauded for his accuracy recording life on the road with Paul. He could be called the first Christian historian. He wasn't an apostle, but Luke continued the missionary life for almost 30 years after Paul's execution. It was in Greece where he preached the gospel and opposed the worship of Greek gods that Luke himself was martyred. Idolatrous priests, upset with his teaching, incited a mob against him and took him to be hanged in an olive grove near the port city of Patras. Luke never met Jesus but he gave his life for him. For more lives that inspire, go online to persecution.com. And back with you live here on Lighthouse Live. By the way, a heartiest congratulations to our friend and brother Carl Bryant, who was installed uh, last night, if you're listening live, on, on Sunday the 13th as the senior pastor of True Light Community Church. Used to be Greater True Light Baptist Church, now True Light Community Church, and our brother Carl uh, Bryant, a uh, well-deserved, um, really, I would say a promotion there. It's, it's, uh, it's an assignment that God has given him. And, and, you know, there, there are ways to pastor and there are ways to pastor. And, and, and I mentioned to the folks there last night, Carl will pastor the city. He will pastor the city, yeah. not just that little congregation. 
but uh, he, he's, uh, he's a man who understands what it means to, to reach a city and the love that God has for the entire community. And uh, they're gonna, God's going to do some amazing things uh, through that man. And, and we just thank, uh, thank God for the blessing of bringing Carl into our lives. And again, we uh, keep them in prayer and our, again, our heartiest congratulations to Carl on his new God assignment there at uh, True Light Community Church in, uh, in West Modesto. Speaking of bringing light, here's Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. After almost six years of litigation by atheist Michael Newdow, our national motto, In God We Trust, has now been upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. Pacific Justice Institute acted as co-defendant with the U.S. Department of Justice in protecting our national motto on money and elsewhere. Encouraged by the court decisions made since mid-2006, over 160 cities nationwide are displaying our motto in meeting rooms, on city seals, and in other venues. PGI promises to defend any group free of charge if it is sued for displaying in God We Trust. Yes, Michael, God definitely won this one. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. You know, um, Elaine, I I think the Lord is coming back soon because (laughs) for the second week in a row, I have not only complimented the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals on a decision, (laughs) which is a monumental thing for me to do, but, you know, credit is due where credit is due, and now the U.S. Supreme (laughs) Court, and all I got to think is... You know, my eschatology is starting to to get uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm putting the pedal to the metal now here on. Uh, I, I think he's coming because there's just some pretty amazing stuff going on. Here, but thank you, U.S. Supreme Court, for a, uh, a wonderful uh, decision there. Well, maybe he'll come before we get through this program, and that would be all right with us. Amen. Before dinner. Before di- after well, dinner. What would you? Yeah, no, he can come whenever he, he, he wants. He can come whenever he wants. <laughs> he's got a banquet anyway. He's bringing dinner with him, so it really doesn't make he, any What What he's got difference. for us is much better than what you. Now that what I, we've planned. Now that I've totally blown all that theology, why don't we talk about needs? And Let's talk about some opportunities here from the Volunteer Center of the United Way because our friends at DRAIL, and that stands for Disability Resource Agency for Independent Living, we know them as DRAIL, wow. are having their third annual... Are you impressed? I am impressed. I can't remember Because if you're depressed, we have the right people here for us to use those big cowboy (laughs) boots that you were talking, you know, the point of... Don't start with me. (laughs) I won't. The third annual Cesar Chavez celebration is going to take place on Thursday, March 31st from 1130 till 2 at the agency's office in Modesto. That's Drail, and there will be a test. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's a free event to celebrate the Cesar Chavez Day establishing community unity. I like that. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Community unity. They're going to have free blood pressure screenings, informational booths, uh, lunch. We like that, too. A live mariachi band uh, performing between 12 and 1. Uh, The public is invited. Uh, They want you to RSVP your attendance by the 24th. That's on a Friday. Volunteers, listen up. Ages 16 years and older are needed to set up chairs Greet the attendees and direct them to the luncheon from 10.30 till 2.30. And uh, DRAIL provides comprehensive services designed to empower and improve the quality of life. 
for persons with disabilities. Our dear friend Ruben sits on the LEC with us, uh, the Latino Emergency uh, Council, and also our good friend Terry is over there. He Terry runs, Flat. He runs the Yeah, place. an old friend. No, I mean, he's not old. You know, he's, you're going to get yourself He's a friend for yet. a long time, yeah, right. so he's <laughs> been... Go ahead. You've got something yeah, else you well, want to no, talk about? For, now I'll be in trouble with Terry. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, mm-hmm. rightfully. So, but you know what? Uh, that would be a great thing to get involved with. Uh, great people. Day. Yes. Absolutely. Also, the Center for Human Services, the Hutton House. We have some good friends over there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can advocate for youth and community services while building your leadership skills as Community Youth Connection. They call it CYC. You can be a member. And a CYC is a youth-run uh, adult support community service project impacting and changing lives as a cyc member youth will have uh, fun have the opportunity to be a part of community service activities participate in youth development training and have the opportunity to go on field trips that does sound like fun Uh, cyc meetings are held twice a month at the hutton house and membership is open to all youth between the ages of 11 and 24 years so you might want to check that out and be involved in that. Now, Mr. Al knows something about this Habitat for Humanity mm-hmm. of Stanislaus County, building homes alongside low-income families while they build their dream of home ownership. Volunteers, skilled and unskilled, are needed to help out in all areas of construction at the second phase of Hope Village 10-Home Subdivision, framing, building, plumbing, painting, uh, electrical, roofing, insulation, door installation, all those things, and cleanup under trained supervision uh, in Modesto. Volunteers must be at least 16 years uh, and up. Uh, You attend a 45-minute volunteer orientation held every Thursday or the third Saturday of the month, and the next Saturday orientation is scheduled for March 19. Habitat for Humanity Stanislaus is a faith-based housing ministry connecting people from all faiths and walks of life to work with families in need to improve housing in this community and worldwide. If you have any questions regarding any of these opportunities, get a hold of Barbara Borba, and she is at 209-524-1307, extension 113, again, 209-524-1307, extension 113, or shoot her an email, bborba at uastan. You know, here in the airport neighborhood in our community, we have a family in need of a refrigerator, a couch, and a living room chair. And if you have any of these household items, please let us know, and you can contact us at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. We also have a, a senior facility. Actually, it's an apartment complex in town where two senior residents need beds. We have a lady that needs a double and a gentleman that needs a twin. So if you can help these precious individuals out, that would be great. Just give us a call, and we will uh, connect uh, those items with where they need to go. Well, we have been excited about tonight. And uh, as I was receiving uh, your updates, Pastor Michael, uh, from the India trip, I, I was thinking that we just have to share uh, this story and so much more as we welcome back uh, to Lighthouse Live, pastor, psychologist, doctor, and friend, Pastor Michael Wright. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I also want to add that uh, that Michael also facilitates our prayer summits. 
our, our wives let us out of town once a year. Oh, boy. And, you know, probably <laughs> anybody else but Michael, they wouldn't let us, you know, out by ourselves because that just spells trouble. But uh, Michael has just done a, a wonderful job of, yes. of following the Spirit and, and leading us in a time that not only helps relax us in, in, into God's presence, but it's just a special time there's, where there's a lot of safety and and uh, relaxation and just letting God minister to us so that, that we can hear him clearly. And, and that is no small feat, I, w- no, I want to tell you. No. So, Michael, thank you for your, your willingness to do that and bless us as shepherds in our community. We appreciate that so much. Well, it's my privilege to to be called into that place. I am uh, wonderfully blessed by being able to facilitate, facilitate that prayer time. Um, I just see God at work, you know, and just join him in that work. That's all I do. Just we, follow him around. You can know? we also say that you are world-renowned because you've been known all over the world and a peacemaker and just a... Uh, bringing people together and, and facilitating all sorts of meetings. and, and Right. Such. We've been a part of what is called Reconciliation Networks of Our World, which is a network-based organization that brings different reconciling entities together in a local venue to help facilitate reconciliation with that local venue and also encourage people by storytelling um, about what God can do in reconciliation. And as you know, stories are profoundly powerful mm. uh, in uh, touching people's lives. We're not an issue-oriented uh, conference, but a story-driven conference for lay people to come and share their stories of reconciliation. Michael, it is just amazing, as, as Pastor Mike here has said, what God is doing and has done and, and still <laughs> today is, is doing in your life. And and uh, if you would, just as he said, you know, the genesis of, of the India trip, share with us how that happened, what God did and, and how that came about. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I want to back into how, how uh, this came about because... As Michael and you know, um, Elaine, I pastor a very small fellowship that meets in a facility for developmentally disabled adults. Um, and I have to tell you that for years, I, uh, in my egotism, uh, fought what God wanted to do. He was shaping this church after his own liking. And um, we, for the, we were birthed in 1982 and for the first eight years, we had ministries because of my passion to unleash laity into authentic ministries beyond the walls of the church. We had ministries all over the place. And, and then in 89, 88 and 89, we lost 15 families. Uh, and the Lord brought a word to us in a prayer meeting that he had allowed us to be beleaguered. And out of that, he asked us to simply pray, worship, study the word not do anything else. And for five years, that's what we did. And then at the end of the five years, he he called us to let go of our vision of reaching the city of Turlock. And after we let go of that vision, then we started this journey that became very international in, in, uh, in nature. Uh, to be honest with you, when God spoke to my heart about being global, uh, I I... I'd get physically ill because I couldn't believe God could do that uh, with with this group of motley people we had together. There's misfits, and with especially this head misfit, Michael Wright. You know, 
So I just, uh, and then out of that came a move to call me to uh, do intercession on site, intercession in Korea. And then um, it was just amazing how God worked through reconciliation the works of our world. We met in in Coventry, England, and we've we've been our church has been literally um, in England, in Holland, in South Africa. Uh, uh, I don't know how many states we've been in in prayer or just serving quietly in obscurity. And it came out of a journey of what I would call communal brokenness. And I, what I believe is the essence that's missing of the churches today is a willing a willingness to be absolutely radical in obedience to follow him into brokenness. Um, scripture, I, I believe Scripture tells us that all of us are broken. There's, there's something unfixed about every one of us. And I believe that, that basically without knowing it, without intention, the churches don't address our unfixed brokenness. And for the Lord to break us to that place, to embrace our brokenness. Now, that's not all we are, but that's just a place that we have to move to. Someone has said that as water seeks low ground, the glory of God seeks lowliness. And I, I, I just sense that's what he calls us to is a deep sense of lowliness. I, I get profoundly moved, Michael, when uh, the leadership in Modesto asked me to facilitate the prayer summits. I... I first of all get terrified, and then I just I I am brought into deep humiliation about the fact that God would call me to that place. Now I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. That's just a reality that I believe that God's called us into is to break that kind of lowliness in which we stand in awe that God would choose to have us join Him in His activity. And I think that's a crucial, crucial uh, shaping of what God wants to do. That is to join him in his activity rather than say, God, what do you want me to do today? Is, Lord, where are you moving today? Yeah. You know, and and I don't think that I can know that out of out of an arrogancy, out of a, out of all my education and all those things that I've experienced is that God has to draw me into a place of making me face myself. I, I, humility is the ability to stand as close to the revealed truth I know about me and be available to God and others to serve them in His, in His power by joining Him there in His work. You know, Michael, as we were <clears throat> coming on the air, I... Um brought God just brought me back to Luke 14 in, in thinking about you and you talk right. about you know what what holds us back in today's church and I think you know sometimes our, our our goals and our objectives and our programs and our performance mentality and all that stuff is like noise that interferes with the signal God wants us to right. pick up but uh, in, in Luke 14 verse 23 uh, in that passage uh, Jesus is talking about the cost of being a disciple and he says any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple and i think you know so many times uh, our 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 point of admitting our brokenness being transparent about our brokenness as, as a church often interferes with God wants to do through us. And I'm just thinking, Michael, how you've just laid it all out. And you, you've 
laid, you've gotten rid of the performance stuff and, and you just said, okay, God, here I am. Just a simple thing that the old prophets used to say and, and how powerfully God uses us when we're willing just to pull it all out there and say, okay, whatever you want to do, I'm here. Well, thank you, Michael. It, it is a very costly journey. And, yeah. you, and only if people that don't understand what it really means to authentically bear the cross, it's very difficult mm. in our culture. And I, I think that's what India has taught me a, a great deal about, is that they have a radical obedience and a radical trust up front at the very beginning mm-hmm. where we have to be broken down to that same place. They moved that place because of the environment they're in, you know. And I, and I think that uh, I... I, the the church I work with in India is called the Mount uh, Zion Gospel Church of India, and they are what is called the Delic people. I did not know this, but there are 65 castes in India, and that's been perpetuated, of course, by Hinduism and Karma. And um, uh, where I go is in the southern part of India, and it's called the state of Kerala. I was in flight on the way to Kerala, my second. Uh, second ministry there and I was talking to an, an, a Muslim about Kerala and he said that it's the most educated state in India and I asked him why and he says because of Christianity now the, the the Catholic church there is very political so when we're talking about the Catholic church we're not talking about the Catholic church we even know here it's, it's a very different um, type of entity uh, uh, they, they, the where I, the place I go to, in Kerala, they stand between, on one end, the radical Hinduism, and the other end, the Catholic Church is very politically motivated. Uh, Kerala, as strange as it sounds, uh, has voted in for the every five years, the last I don't know how many years, the Communist Party. It's a hybrid Communist Party, mm. but Christians. As strange as it sounds, when they do vote, they don't vote for the Hindus, they don't vote for Catholics, they vote for the communists. <laughs> and because communists look at them, uh, give them a lot more liberty. Now, there are times when the Hindu, radical Hindu party will come along and force uh, the communist party to move in and, and uh, remove unregistered ministries in Kerala. And that happens ever so often. We have to be very cautious when we send any support there that the support is not too extensive because, again, the Hindu own the banks and they look at scant at anything coming in from America and they could they could uh, they could uh, tabulate it and as maybe money for terrorists and then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So the journey started out of our our sense of. A lady named Vicky, who just uh, how did I explain Vicky? <laughs> uh, she's a very precious lady, she's and she will admittedly precious. tell you that she is bipolar and she's on her medications. But Vicky is one of these adventurous women. When I asked her, uh, when she said she was in touch on the internet with people in Pakistan and India, I said, "Well, why don't you go?" And she said, "Really?" And so she took off. Now this was two thousand five. And went to Pakistan. Now, I want you to imagine this white lady 
by herself going to Pakistan. That was, you know, it was unbelievable. But she went. And she had learned enough about uh, uh, Punjabi to be able to speak some of the language. She, Is that right? Everybody, really? She even right. had dresses made that were Indian type of dresses and right. talking to Indian people in Turlock, you know. And So she ended up going to Pakistan and then ended up down in Kerala. And that's how we began with the church there. So I was invited to come over and dedicate the uh, an orphanage we helped them build. And the the leader of the church, his name is M.C. Joseph, uh, he was at that time in his mid-60s, not in very good physical health. But he stood up to introduce me to the 17 pastors that were there, the 17 churches. And he said, he said, um, back in 1977, 78, I think it was, he was, he began praying. And as he prayed, he had this, he had this vision of him driving this bus and it would be very slow. People get on and get off. And then there was this man that came along and took over the driving of the bus. And he said, I've been praying for that man since 1977, 78. And he turned to me and he said, Michael Wright was the man I saw in my vision. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm supposed to speak after that. You know, and I was, I was puddled up. You know, you could have gotten me a mob and collected me. And so that started our journey. There was a connectivity between MC and myself. And what we do, we had conferences in the evening. About, about 1,200 people to 1,300 people come. They feed them. They, they are... Uh, we have to be very careful about where they have these meetings because there are radical Hindu enclaves throughout Kerala that could cause a lot of political pressure. Now, at this point in Kerala itself, there's been the persecution that's happened there is that they can they lose their their uh, some of them lose their stipend if they're on a government stipend. They can lose their job cards. Because, you know, if they, if they are baptized, then they cease to be a Hindu. Another thing is that the family members evict the person out of, out of the family. And um, they cannot be buried by cremation in any of their family plots. Uh, they don't have anything to do with the families any longer. And so uh, the, the fir- persecution is very subtle. It's, um, it's, it's not as... As hard it is in Orissa or in Baradad, but uh, so they they just uh, it's hard to explain the joy that those people have. It's an amazing joy, and as I say that their their faith is upfront here and now. We believe God for what He says and what He's doing. There have been in several of the instances. People actually healed during the services. When I'm preaching, a lady that had not had their menstrual period for five years was healed in one Sunday morning when I felt like I was falling on my face, you know, preaching. Her whole family um, that afternoon, uh, she said she went during the preaching, she had the feelings of warmth go through her body, and then afternoon she started a menstrual period. Her whole family came back that night, and the entire Hindu family was brought to Christ. Wow. So that, that kind of display happened. A lot there. Uh, one of the times that was t- uh, last year, before I went this past year, past year, I was I found I got to be I was nominated as the dean of the Bible school. 
<laughs> and um, so I had to sign all their their, uh, their certificates. Yeah. There were ten men who uh, who were ordained to 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 uh, go and preach. I had an interpreter, by the way, who was from Arista State, telling me what the song was. And the song was "Lord Jesus, we will follow you to death if that's what it costs us." <sighs> and uh, it's getting to the place that that is possible. And after they sung that song, again, I was supposed to pray, and I'm sitting there just crying like a baby. Mm. You know, here I am. I'm suffering 105 degrees temperature in Turlock, what's the greatest suffering I've ever done, as it mm. were, you know. And I'm supposed to pray over these guys that may end up dead, fallen in Christ. Mm. After that conference, um, this year, my interpreter is named James Koroga. He is a pastor that works that pastors there in Kerala at the Mount, at, at, um, at one of the churches. He said, after last year's conference, the Lord began to bother him and said, I want you to leave Kerala. I want you to leave the, the church here. And James told me, he said he, he didn't understand what it was all about. And so, um, he began praying and for seven days he was on a fast and during the fast, he said, James, I want you to go to Habanadad, which is an Andre, State of Andre, and there will be a man there you will meet. Now, Habanadad is a place that they have burned down some of the schools. They have attacked Christians, and several have been killed. But that's where God called me to go. So now, in India, if you want to go from one place to another place, you have to change buses and trains. 23 hours later, he ends up in Habanadad. And there is a gentleman standing on the platform of the of the of the train station and he and James strike up a conversation and he asked James what are you doing here he said God sent me here and the gentleman who's Hindi said oh really he said where are you going to stay he said I don't know he says well I have a home that has three rooms and a bathroom and he said you can stay there and James says thank you so he takes him to the home and I, I don't know the chronology of the timing of the next events but uh, as James and this Hindu gentleman were talking, he asked him, he said, well, what about your family? And, and James explains, well, that's my concern. He says, my daughter, uh, who is in the first level, first grade, doesn't understand your language. Now, James speaks seven languages, including English, so he knows that language. <laughs> so he's a pretty sharp dude. So the gentleman said, well, I happen to be on a private school and president of this school. And he said, if you bring your family here, I will take your daughter and tutor her privately. And I will not charge. Mm. And James, as he begins to share this story, just begins to cry, you know. And, and uh, the gentleman then says, well, what are you going to do? He said, well, my wife is a teacher. Oh, really? The Hindu says to him, he said, what does she teach? She teaches social studies. Oh, Really? said, I need a social studies teachers, a teacher in my school. And he said, I will pay her and then take half of the money for rent. And so James is now with his wife and family in Habadadad. And what he does, he teaches his wife the lesson in the language there in Habadadad. And she repeats the lesson uh, four or five times every, every day at school. Then the guy says later on, he says, well, what are you going to do to make a living? He said, well, I would like to 
to uh, teach English as a second language. And he said, but I have to have a special registration. He said, I can do that for you. Is that right? <laughs> and so <laughs> so here's James has, has a home. He has his daughter being taught privately. His wife is teaching at school. They have their rent paid for. They have enough to live on. And now he's going to start a school for English-speaking people. Uh, due to a Hindu man he met on a platform there mm. in the train station. That is how God acts. Yeah. Amen. Oh, my Amen. goodness. You know, I'm thinking, Michael, as you're talking, uh, we, we breeze by uh, Jesus' words that uh, I'm going to give you life and, and have it more abundantly. And here in America, we take that in a certain frame of reference. We go, oh, yeah, okay. Right. But the people you're ministering to, that's a radical statement that, that addresses not only the life after eternity, but also an abundant life here in the, in the here and now. And I would imagine between these two cultures that there's a whole different meaning in India where you're ministering and here in America in terms of having life and having it more abundantly on this side of eternity. You know, that's the amazing thing, Michael, the, the journey that our church, Sherlock Community Fellowship, and I've gone through personally about being broken and being brought to end of our own self. And that message really, as strange as it sounds, speaks so profoundly to those in India. Mm. Uh, do we have time? Do we have enough time? Yes. We're coming up on a break in a minute, but go ahead. Go ahead. We'll, okay. we'll wait for you. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, the last Monday I was there, we went to a to a church in uh it's about a two hour drive. Monday morning I was praying. I didn't know anything about this church. I was praying about what I should share, and the Lord spoke to my heart about Genesis twelve, where God called Abraham out of his family, you know, his 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 culture, his family, his relationships, you know, and he called him deeper and deeper into paying the price to obey him. And Abraham obeyed. So I felt like I'd share that with his church. Well, as I drove on the way, I rode on the way to the church, the, um, the gentleman who's taking me there explained that this church was located in an enclave of very strong Hindu families and that every one of those family members had been evicted. And here I am, uh, speaking about the eviction, as it were, of Abraham. And so as I was there speaking, there was tears and joy. There was laughter. There was singing. The pastor just broke down several times, just crying over the fact that God spoke so deeply to those people out of that passage, you know, in our own journey of what it's like to be evicted. You know, where Jesus, it says in Hebrews 13, let us go with him outside the city. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we hang on to is we hang on to the cities too strongly. Now, I don't mean that, you know, like loving Modesto. I'm not talking about but the, the whole thing about what that means, about, about uh, our, own, our own power, our own strength, our own stuff, our own popularity, our own acceptance, you know, not being, not being abandoned. All that kind of stuff is of the, of the city, you know, and he's called us outside the city to be evicted and to bear that cross, not as an ascetic or as a martyr, but in authentic relationship to God and each other. He often calls us out of our environment 
does need to make yeah. the changes that and let's talk about that in, in okay. uh, on the on the other side of this okay. wonder and Elaine has a wonderful wonderful song for I us do. In you talked around. about that song that uh, earlier in the program about following Jesus and we love uh, revisiting uh, tonight's tonight's song uh, because it's what you are all about Pastor Michael and the group Leland with special guest Brandon Heath on this one it's called follow you on Lighthouse Life and we'll be back right after this
That's Leland, along with Brandon Heath, and follow you here on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and very special guest, Pastor Michael Wright. Michael, we were uh, talking a little bit earlier about radical obedience. And uh, what, what really Jesus demands of us, really, if, if, if we say we want to be followers, this, this is the cost. It's that radical obedience, willing to give it all up and, be, and become a bondservant. And in our culture, I don't think we really understand, at, at least in today's American culture, what a bondservant is. Uh, you know, but it's that, it's that radical letting go of everything and, and just submitting ourselves totally to what God wants us to do. And I would imagine, Michael, when you started out, that being in, in, in India and in Turlock probably wasn't on your radar screen, was it? That would be a mild understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was uh, I was just saying, you know, 25 years ago, I didn't even know what a Modesto was, you know, but right. now I are one. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing what right. we do when we just make ourselves uh, available. Michael, tell us a, a little bit about what, what went on in you as God took you to, to India and those experiences that you were having. I know that he used you powerfully to minister to the folks there. How did God use that experience to minister to you? What, 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 how did he change you through that? Well, uh, Michael, it, it, as I said, what that says to me is that in that kind of environment where, you know, the people are uh, in that caste system, okay, I realized that, that we live in a caste system that is much more sophisticated, mm. uh, like women today, even though the... the that is changing. What's happening with women in the business arena is they're experiencing the same kind of problems psychologically, mentally, emotionally, like men now are. You know, uh, so there's this this bondage that we're all in about that we don't even realize. And so I. That's the, one of the things I've, I've come to realize is that they are very clear about the fact that they are in that cash system. The second thing is, is that what they offer to Hindu people is a freedom from the karma, that, this, that cycle mm-hmm. of death and rebirth back into uh, forms of life that were due to, you know, to former experiences in another life. And I've realized that that we buy into, a, I may be kind of radical in saying this, our own kind of karma that we, you know, we're in fated systems that we buy into, that we seemingly buy into the curse that's all around us, you know, of darkness. Uh, I was showing Debbie the other day um, an article that just recently came to us on what's going on in Haiti one of the darkest areas in the world. Mm. And the president of Haiti, uh, because of what's happened there, uh, canceled the Mardi Gras, which is just was an amazing thing. And then he called for three days of prayer and fasting. And uh, a, a pastor there spoke to people, thousands of people. They were standing on cars. They were hanging in trees. And there was a brokenness there. The prime minister, it says, the report is, as he cried for over an hour mm. and asking for God to heal their nation, you know. 
So God is at work, and I think what, what keeps us as Americans from realizing that is there kind of an, an arrogancy, a, a kind of, you know, um, we have all of our needs met. And I, I believe that the economic downturn is driving us back to some very basic values. But I just wonder if if we're really listening to God's spirit in that downturn, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, you were quoting from Luke out of the Message Bible. Later on, Jesus said in that same passage, simply put, if you're not willing to take whatever's dearest to you, whether they're plans or people, and don't kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, uh, I, I call our church into a kiss it goodbye service all the time, you know, uh, uh, to, you know, kiss, uh, for example, to kiss our sense of how small we are, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to say, okay, we're small. But how, how do you explain God taking this little church, this hole in the wall church, all over the world, you know? And uh, so I, I, I feel like there's this kind of this bondage that we're in here in America that's our own style of karma, as it were, you know, that's kept us from, from that radical trust of God. And that, that radical surrender mm-hmm. to the Lord, Michael, is, is a messy thing. Uh, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, a, it's that, not a clean that's a thing, good word. right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, let's talk about some of the the uh, uh, levels of messiness that we go through when we say we we finally get to the point where we're throwing up our hands and saying, "All right, I give. You you can have all of me. I, I really this is out of my control. I'm submitting myself to you." Uh, I think I understand what you said when if, if you can't give up everything, you can't follow me. I think I got it now. Let's talk about what God does in us through that and, and some of those areas of pain that we have to go through to really mature in, in what he wants to make us into. Well, personally, when in 95, when we simply pared down to prayer, worship, study the Bible, um, there was one last thing that we had to do, uh, one last thing we had to do, and that is to give up the vision we had in reaching the Sea of Turlock. Because, see, I came from a church in Hayward that was one of these God phenomenons. It was like I was on top of this tsunami, you know, that was 90 mm-hmm. feet high, and I couldn't figure out what to do with the thing because mm-hmm. God was moving. I, I don't mean this to be... Um, I don't know, irreligious, but I could quote Mary had a lamb and people get saved, <laughs> you know, because people were out in the community, you know, in, in groups, bringing people to Christ. And we baptized 100, 105 a year, maybe more than that. And I may have won maybe 10 of those to Christ. The rest of them were won by the membership of that church. So I came to Sherlock thinking, well, I'm going to, you know, do that same kind of thing. And God just absolutely just broke me, mm-hmm. you know. It brought me to a startling end of my religious piety and my religious arrogancy. I got on my knees and had to surrender the vision to a church that we helped uh, move into a roller rink that we'd been in and helped them re- refurbish it. We gave that to that church and that vision of that church. And uh, that was the hardest thing in the world for me to do. And... I had a vision that night as I, we surrendered that to Christ with my associate of me running around an Olympic arena 
and I was dragging one foot and trying to run around the Olympic arena, and I was unclothed totally. Mm. I was covering my private parts, and I, every once in a while these Olympic runners would come by and try to kick me off the, off the arena, off of the running track, and I couldn't get off because if I got off, then I would cease to exist. And so that night, I gave in to say, Lord, I get off the arena. I get off the, uh, the running. And I wept, I don't know how many hours, just broken. Now, I believe there are times that God brings us to that kind of brokenness. But also, I think there are times when there are very quiet places in which we have to die to give up our rights in relationships to people because many times our unmet needs become entitlements, become rights. As I do psychotherapy, you know, I have clients say, well, isn't that my right to have certain things for my wife or her, the wife? And I said, who gave you those rights? Mm-hmm. You know, and so we hang on to those rights as if, as if they own us, they owe us. And God calls us, I believe, to die, to, to follow the cross in, in interpersonal relationships to people, to die to our agendas, our dreams, our rights, our direction, you know, so that he can be glorified, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Wow. That's powerful stuff. <laughs> look, look, can we revisit that just because the first time I heard you say that, wow. uh, I spent a week ruminating over that and, and unpacking that. The the point at which unmet needs become rights. Unmet needs become rights. I think, Michael, so much so much is made in our culture, even within the Christian community, of goals and objectives and programs and mission statements and this and that. And you know, it's good to know where you're going. But other times when when we consider the fact that that mission statement becomes the weather vane, right, exactly. and it replaces our dependence upon God, right, and 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 we can now put our faith in that mission statement rather than allowing God to put us in a ship, and if He wants to take us over here or take us over here, He can, but. We don't want to do that because it's more comfortable to have that, that weather vein and, and, and have that plumb yes. line we right. made. Yes. Awfully hard to let go of that in yeah. our, even in our Christian world, isn't it? Well, you, you were in a meeting when a pastor, a leading pastor, um, admitted that his, his passion to, to win people to Christ overtook his passion for connectedness to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, and it just I just broke when I heard that, mm. you know, and and but what God has taken him through since that time is just been unbelievable, even deeper brokenness, mm. you know, and yeah, I I, I <laughs> last two Sundays ago, I wrote out a statement of what I we realized we were for as a church. <laughs> Because God was doing stuff, and then we defined it, you know. Like and then once statement? we got it defined, we say, "Okay, that's where God is going." Well, okay. And so we write it out, and you know, and then we'll write out something else when we figure out where He's going. But but we try to stay open, very flexible to wherever that's going to be. And of course, I'm the size of the church I'm pastoring allows us that, you know, and allows me the freedom 
to literally, if I need to just drop everything and go to India or Africa, whatever, Love I can do church. so. Yeah. You know? And the, our people are so competent that they can manage without me, you know. That's a good feeling. Yeah, amen. You know, it really is. You yeah. have a wonderful congregation. Well, thank you. Absolutely. You really do. And, yeah. and, the, and, you know, you were talking about the simplicity and the wonderful, simple faith of the beautiful, precious people in India. And I just have to marvel at the royalty in which they treated you. And we're so thankful that they did treat you well there. And uh, we, we have a little bit of time. And I, I just can't, can you share with us the driving lesson that you got in India? <laughs> Would you please, please, please share well, that? Well, I want you to know, Elaine, I got, I, every time I go to India, I get caught up in my prayer life for a year. <laughs> because their roads are supposed to be two-lane roads. But really, in reality, they're laying in the half, okay? <laughs> and what they do is that you'll be behind, come behind a lorry, a huge truck loaded with, with, with lumber. And what you're supposed to do is you're to honk. As you go around the corner, and it's a blind corner, and you can't see, so you honk. And you pull around this lorry. It's doing about five miles an hour. And here comes a bus doing about 35 or 40 miles an hour straight at you. So you honk again. The lorry honks. It slows down. You pull in as a bus rushes by you. And then you pray a lot. <laughs> you repent of everything you thought. <laughs> you know? I have repented and repented and repented. It, you know, but the drivers are professional drivers that they hire. You know, and I mean they're amazing people. You so, know. so don't try this at home. Is what you're. Oh, saying. please! I, I, it's it. I got home and showed. I showed my wife a little strip of it. You know, I had to. I had to do resuscitation. On <laughs> yeah, almost passed out because of what was going on in the driving there. You know. But they they do. I come home and she has to beat me around a couple of times to get me unspoiled, you know. So they they are just gracious people. Uh, they are unbelievable. We so right. thank you uh, for the specific ways that you gave us to pray while you were there. Well, for the I men appreciate and the, women. the prayer support. Mm. One thing that did take place is that I now have realized uh, came uh, they informed me that five of those pastors are now out in the field and are establishing new churches mm. already. Mm. So um, that that's um, quite an amazing thing to watch this take place, you know. Michael, we have about uh, two, three minutes left, and, and uh, I, I can say as, as one of the shepherds here in Modesto that we really consider you a pastor to pastors. Mm -hmm. I know you're a pastor to Turlock Community Fellowship, but you're a pastor to us. I mean, you're, you're the guy that we often go to when we get sideways and, and, and we need some help. And sad to say in our culture, not a lot of places a pastor can go, but, but you, 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 God, God has equipped you so, so well in that regard. Two or three minutes we have left. What would you like to say to pastors across the world, not only here in America, but everywhere that our, our signal goes here? What what has God got on your heart that you would just say? And, and, and what words of encouragement would you give to pastors today to to go through that process of giving it all up, being broken before the Lord, and really allowing him to take over and, and take us wherever he wants us to go? Well, Michael, I... Uh without really giving it too much thought, the first thing I want to say to pastors is I want to applaud them, mm. you know, for the fact mm. that that they're doing their, their that work. The second thing I've realized is that so many pastors come out of what I would call shame-bound families. 
in which uh, you could use the word dysfunctional, but Scripture is very clear uh, in Genesis chapter 3 that shame basically drives a lot of us into these places of, of ministry to caretake. And that's where we get in trouble is that we are driven beyond what I think are the boundaries of what God's called us to to do ministry. And the third thing is when we get driven beyond those boundaries to do ministry is that God will call us to a place to die mm-hmm. so many times, and we don't understand that process. Mm-hmm. We don't understand the fact that not being successful as a, a Rick Warren or whoever it may be uh, to, to, to fail, you know, may be what God's called us to do. So the cross can be resurrected in our failure. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for being part of our Lighthouse Live program tonight. And uh, Dr. Michael Wright, pastor and uh, and friend to us here in Modesto, thank you so much for spending time with us. Also, want to uh, acknowledge Deborah, who's yes. uh, here with us, and she is your right hand person. I know that uh, that makes it because I've got mine here. You know, and yeah, right. ABC doesn't happen without Elaine. Exactly. Deborah, thank right. you for uh, right. your work in the ministry and and being one of those people that helps hold Michael up. Uh, through your expertise in, in his office and his ministry. We thank you so much for your ministry as well. We love you both. And thank you, dear friends, for joining us and sharing a, a piece of your day with us here on Lighthouse Live. And we'll see you next time. May God continue to bless you.